Yo, if this shit's not recording, you're fired. <laughs> For real. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's just tilting, bro. <laughs> What's more tilting? It not recording when he walks out of the room or him actually being here and it's still not recording? Oh, my God. I'm glad they gave me these three pens, man. I'll be back. This motherfucker always got something else to do. All right, everyone, I am back for my show, The Realest Fucking Podcast, The Realest Poker Podcast. I don't know if we're the realest podcast in the world, but definitely the realest podcast in poker. And I'm back with my main man, Matt Berkey. I've been gone three weeks, getting shredded back in the East Coast in the cold, you know, just like punching, you know, just punching in the freezer. You weren't doing any of that shit. I'm not punching in the freezer, but I'm punching in at the gym. No, you're doing some cushy shit in like some bougie gym. Bougie up gym. Up in North Jersey. This is a bougie gym. Acting like you're struggling. We are struggling out here. We battling. We battling every day, losing a small amount of fat and throwing it back in the universe. Sure. Sure. Three weeks. It's been a it's been a little bit a little bit of a while, but it was good. I went back, got to see my family, got to see my girlfriend, everybody very supportive of this bet. They're all like cooking the good food. Making sure they're all like, take Matt Berkey's money, you know? <laughs> so it's good. It, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And in that time, we launched uh, a bunch of stuff. So I saw two Joy Ingram podcasts, one Nick Howard podcast. You know, the people, the, the, the flag went down, which was good, respective of the country, La sure. Patria, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we also launched the Poker Allow Top 10 Hands, yep. as well as On Second Thought. So... I was really excited to see the poker out loud stuff because I feel as if, you know, internally we all knew it was like a big hit. Yeah. Right. And now people are getting to see, you know, what we've been working on for so long. You know, this was two years ago. So obviously the strategy has evolved. We've increased production, increased strategy, increased like, you know, how everything's going. But they get to see kind of how it all started. And, you know, some hands were played a little interesting because it was two years ago. And I like season one, man. Season one's gangster. Season one is raw. And that's good. And what are your thoughts? What What is your general impression of it being out there now? Um, I mean, I'm happy that it's out there. It's something that I always thought belonged in some capacity in the free platform. Like, if there's anything that differentiates us as an online training site, mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be Poker Out Loud. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a unique methodology. It's, it's one that I thought I dreamt up, but apparently, uh, Negranu had done this with poker VT prior. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not that novel of an idea. It's, it's certainly replicated elsewhere, but, uh, I just felt like we could really pull it off. You know, we have a, enough talent in house, um, from coaching and playing dynamics and we have enough reach in our networks that like we're able to bring in Chewy and Jesse Sylvia, and then like hopefully a host of others, uh, in, in future seasons as they come. Um, but you know, production is what sets it apart. Mm -hmm. Like Pigtails just crushes this stuff out of the park. Yeah. I saw the poker VT, like clips of it all like, and it was just like pretty like it wasn't, the production wasn't great. Obviously this is also a long time ago. Yeah. It was like a decade yeah. ago, maybe even longer. So you are, you've decided to give away everything. As Man. Well, while I was gone. I can't, I can't be gone this long. The reason is because we ain't making any money. 
We haven't had a payment come in in like two months. Yeah, of course. Everything. I leave for three weeks and every day I just see gift, gift, Friday, sale, free month, free, 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 free. And I'm like, okay, what the hell's going on? And then you're just texting me like, yo, my course is going to be sick. And I'm like, how much are they paying? You're like, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I'm like, you're like, you're like, yo, I'm putting in hours, man. I've been here 10 hours. And I'm like, yo, we haven't paid nothing for this. So, you know, I hope they stick around. Uh, But you do have a new course coming up. Yeah. And it is launching on December 12th and people could still get in to see it for free, right? Yeah. So the, the free month is good all the way up till December 31st. So if you haven't already. can't wait for December 31st. <laughs> if you haven't already, uh, sign up using gift code S4Y uh, gift. Um, but you yeah. call it Berkey gift. You know, because I I'm not about this gift, man. I'll tell you right now, like Santa Berkey's to... in the fucking mood, man. Oh, I man. I'm, I'm generous in the holiday times. Uh, well, I know I got twenty five thousand coming. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, the Exploitative Matrix is uh, going to be the course. It's a seven part course, uh, so seven separate lessons. The first two are already up up on the site, uh, so you'll be able to see those real time as soon as you hear this pod. Uh, the remaining five will be dropping uh, this Thursday, the twelfth, um, and yeah, I, I mean it's it's good. Not to not to pat myself on the back, but like I'm really happy with the way that it turned out. Let's talk about exploitative poker. Okay. Uh, exploitative matrix, exploitative poker. I, you know, you and I had a conversation via text of the night, and I was pretty much saying, I think it's gonna come back around. Where I really think that the last three years has been just like okay, everybody learned theory, and it's just like move away from exploitative poker and i'm just seeing things turning back where it's like exploitative poker wins money it wins a lot of money and the one of the bigger holes i see is people just like not necessarily knowing how to play against weaker players like yeah it's just you're leaving a ton of money on the well, I mean, table the thing is if you're a good player what you want in um an adversary is somebody who is trying to employ some sort of uh, template solution, mm. right? So it's like, yeah, it made the aggregate much more solid and uh, it made them leak a lot less in, I guess, like traditionally emotional spots. Mm. But overall, like the exploitative nature of the game hasn't really changed very much. Uh, it's just programmed a lot of small winners to be incredibly tight and to take like massive advantage of the big losers. Mm. Uh, which is problematic for the for the ecosystem as a whole. But again, like to your point, I think a lot's just going to continually change. Stacks are going to keep getting deeper. We're going to see more of these uncapped games popping up, more uh, 200 plus big buying caps uh, popping up, which is going to naturally increase the the minimum buying in games. Like I know Win uh, mm-hmm. particularly only does 100 minimum in almost all of their games, yeah. which is pretty massive. I mean that that forces people into uh, a lot less pre-solved areas. Uh, but I think the real takeaway is just that you know we're kind of we're kind of just getting on the outskirts of um, how much we're actually able to achieve through the current computer power we have. Solvers were an amazing tool in the sense that they reframed the way that we approached the game right. and the way that we thought about things, yeah. right? So prior to like 2012, this was a game that was just completely and utterly rooted in intuition and emotional reaction to yeah. uh, a mathematical game. And that just in and of itself has problems, right? right. Like math is solvable, uh, at least to some degree of, of accuracy. So what solvers kind of shine a light on is what we're supposed to prioritize, what attributes 
of a hand make right. it a candidate, what uh, actual ranges look like from a construction standpoint. You know, it eliminated a lot of the randomization, which in turn programs out a lot of the emotional responses to uh, how this game is being played, but not entirely. Randomization with bad, bad candidates, right? Like random selecting of hands. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not yeah I, I think like the implement, implementation of mixes is still very random. Correct, correct. I see that, yeah. Yeah, I... I think the last three years has been interesting in terms of like it's elevated my thought in terms of how to think about the game. Mm -hmm. But now as I'm playing and like implementing, I, I swear like the last five, five, six months has been like a complete transformation. I've won a lot more than I feel a lot more comfortable and winning at a rate that is probably bigger than before. Only from the fact that I do feel like I have a, fairly decent understanding of theory in terms of like how to pick my candidates you know is, is this like plus ev to enter or not and you know how how to think how the solvers are choosing their their hand classes right but now i'm like really in tune with what portion of the tree is going to cause the most difficulty for these players yeah and i'm just simply going to continue to place them in that situation as much as i can and then drive them down that path I think that's still exploitative. Obviously, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, even those people who've run like billions of sims or or hundreds of millions of sims or whatever, the only difference between like you and them, fundamentally speaking, is the amount of effort it takes you to implement versus them. Mm. And moreover, uh, the amount of white noise that they face compared to you. So you're forced to build a pretty good filter to white noise in the sense that you'll be much more in tune to who your actual opponent is and you'll make a, uh, a adjustments accordingly. People who have run like infinite sims and lean very heavily on the outputs are going to kind of be restricted towards trying to operate in a minimally exploitative way where perhaps they're leaving a lot of win rate on the table because their opponent's just giving something so big up. Yeah. So how do you, how do you build that though? Because I think it's easy for someone like me that came from strictly online maybe even someone like you too mm -hmm. came from strictly not an online background just play live get a feel for the game you know that yeah. that that term has been pretty like ostracized like kind of it's like oh you're a feel player but like getting a feel for the game a pulse for the game muscle repetition kind yeah, of like yeah. mental repetition yeah understanding how people approach certain spots then moving into this like theoretical realm of like okay well there's these Germans that are fucking just like doing shit that we don't understand. Bro, it's so much, so right. much of it's fear equity. It's all yeah. smoke and fucking mirrors. Yeah, yeah, and then for sure we'll talk about that. And it's like, okay, now there's these Germans and they're like doing shit and there's a dream machine, right? So we gotta find out what's going on. And then Pio just gets like released, yeah, right. And everyone just jumps on that. And if you don't play GTO, then you're a fish, right? And it's like, okay, so we all jump on the bandwagon. We're all scared. Poker's gonna die. Right. And then I'm watching these streams and I'm like, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. And I'm like, that's not even theoretical. Right. So then I come back and say, okay, well, people are either misapplying theory drastically or they're playing exploitatively on the low. Yeah. Or maybe both. Sure. Right. And I'm starting to realize, okay, well, Let's just go back to what we're trying to do here. And it's simply make money 
when we're clairvoyant versus a strategy and then take the maximally exploitative strategy and do it. And if you've been playing poker for a long time, you know what that looks like. Yeah. Right. Well, there's a couple of things I, I guess I want to unpack from all of that. So first, uh, I, I want to touch on like the idea of identifying that like good players are doing things that may go, go against uh, what theory would indicate. Mm. Those are often going to be in pools where they're super intimate with their opponents. Right. Sure. Like if you're talking about high rollers or high stakes cash or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. So like these deviations are probably pre-programmed into um, the, the assumptions based on who their opposition actually is. And that's good. Right. Accepting that that's a part of the game is giving up control to the desire to want everything to be objective. Mm. So Nick and I had a huge debate last week on objectivity versus subjectivity. And he was coming from this like platform where he was really professing that if you are an inv in an investment uh, based market yeah. and you're using subjective data, you're going to fail. And overall, that's true. Unless the market is so devoid of data or soft that you can beat it through other metrics. And I think that that's largely where we're at when you're talking about poker. It's like, yes, there's some data to scrape, uh, particularly if you're online, like that's a whole different atmosphere. Yeah. But if we're just talking about live, like the only real data that we have to scrape is how accurate our assumptions are whenever we go run solves and try to spit out like minimally exploitative strategies. So I think that like, you know, basically being able to interpret your environment and have a pulse on the game so that you can like have a good sense of what the emotions of the environment are will drastically set you up to increase win rate win rate when it matters the most, right? Cuz like a lot of times these river decisions that you're placed in against maybe one of the weaker players at the table where have if, if you have information on what their tendencies are, you're just going to be accurate to a, a much more significant degree than if you're trying to take some sort of simple approach that is going to make or break your bottom line in a lot of instances. And that's why so many people in the live realm talk about like running bad, like, oh man, you know, I just run so bad. Like the, the whale gets aces versus my Kings. Like, what mm. can I do yet? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's an unfortunate event. But uh, how often does the whale five bet? Ah, that's, that kind of that's facts. That's facts. Like there's a lot of situations where, you know, take the attributes of the VIP and just say, well, this action is not in line with his attributes. Right. And he probably has something that's outside of his normal range, right? Yeah. I, 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 sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. But the other two things I really wanted to touch on really quickly are just that uh, through the, the use of the solve tool, what we, what we basically learned is where incentives are derived from. Mm. So we're able to categorize the attributes of a range, of a hand, of a spot, of a formation, whatever the case may be. And we're able to distill that down now to understand further what's the incentive of my actual holding and then we do it in the framework of what's the incentive of my holding versus my opponent's global range and what's the incentive of my holding in accordance to my overall range and that right then and there should already be able to give you an outline of like this is what i'm supposed to do at baseline and this is how i'm supposed to appropriately deviate and then the last thing is, is that because in live volume is quantified through time rather than hands dealt, mm. what, we, what we'll see is uh, there's a lot of manipulation that takes place um, over, the, over the course of that volume basically being absorbed. So it's an organic living, breathing environment where, uh, you know, the last hand is going to have some sort of impact on the next hand and the next hand and the next hand. So... When you're able to disrupt patterns, if, if you have the capability to be a pattern disruptor 
in any sort of capacity in your environment, that already is going to uh, steer people into portions of the tree that they're not prepared to like find any sort of solution to. Living, breathing environment, living, breathing organism. Yeah. So like that, that they're that, like that these. nitty GTO kid who only three bets are folds from the small blind. When you only four better fold versus it, yeah, like that. All of a sudden, he's in a scenario where it's like, well, that's not the, that's not what the solve does. Yeah, the solve would have a calling range against me. I don't know what to do. I do have some closing thoughts. People want me to give closing thoughts. You know, sure. um, it's not really a closing thought. I don't follow what you guys say. Fucking pay me. Um, yesterday, continuing this thought process of like playing against like you know weaker players and stuff. My friend Chris K. He's like been. He's been like downswinging a little bit. Mm-hmm. I left town, so that's what happens. Kid loses his 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 guidance. He was like way. on the biggest upswing of the year for himself. Yeah, and then the last three weeks he lost a little bit. He he's all, he overreacts. It's like, a small stakes. Yeah, grinder, he doesn't man. understand. He doesn't understand it. We'll talk about it. Or the mental. So, I shouldn't say. That. I shouldn't reduce him to that. He's he has the mentality of a small stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But talent, he's very good. Yeah. Um. Okay. He ends up like losing some spots to like uh, a weaker reg or or a spot, right? And he's texting me like, bro, you just got back in town. We need to, we need to work, man. I've been like, I've been down swinging, like whatever. So I'm about to hit the gym. I'm like, yo, come through the gym and then uh, we'll hang out throughout the day. We'll go to the gym. We'll talk some hands. You know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll just spend the day together. He's like, I'm running the solves, man. And then I'm like, yo, the solves not going to help you, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. And then I'm look. so then I, I see his Instagram story and it's like, Running the solves against the the fish, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, the solves just gonna give you what the solves gonna like? It's not gonna give you an answer how to play against fish. This is, be, yeah. So, so yeah, this is a huge misconception that yeah. people uh, don't really understand how critical like node locking is. Mm-hmm. And once you begin to node lock, you're really just dealing with a really, really, really complex equity calculator. Yeah. So, like, I saw I saw the same story. Chris basically formulated what he what he believed to be a fish's uh either calling range or opening range i think it was a calling range, mm, calling whatever, range right yeah. okay so first of all there's already a degree of inaccuracy there but For who sure. cares right. whatever let's assume that he's a hundred percent spot on right and he nails it uh it doesn't matter because now when you solve it out what's happening is you are asking the solver to run that range versus the other range that you input Right, like it doesn't it doesn't take any other parameters. It doesn't say like, oh, hero is this range, yeah, and fish is this range. Correct. Play according to fish style. Yeah, right? yeah. It doesn't do it doesn't <laughs> do that. Right. It's just saying like, give me input and I'll give you output. So the parameters that he had entered are, you know, stacks, pot, position, or, or sorry, not position, but like, yeah, he knows who's in and out of position, uh, and then ranges, and then he just ran it, and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do against that range? It's like. Who fucking cares? That guy's not employing this strategy. This guy's random as fuck. He's so far from balanced. It's not going to make... Like, whatever it spits out some sort of mix of like... Oh, well, this guy's supposed to uh, raise flops 11% of the time and call flops 37% of the time and then fold the rest. But, like, you find that he's actually never raising yeah. and folding far less. Like, now we have to node lock that. Right. So now we have to go through and we have to choose the, the hands... That he's continuing, and we have to decide at what confidence we have that he's continuing with that hand. So it's like king high board, all of his king X. I'm 100% certain he's continuing. So yeah. I give him 100% certainty, right? Now what about like middle pairs? 
Well, I don't know. There's varying degrees, so we're going to look at the properties of the middle pairs. I'm going to try to get in the head of a fish mm. and figure out, like, what about 7X on King 7-4 he prefers, right? Like, which ones does he prefer to continue always? Right. Sometimes We'll never know. So we're already off into a, a, a rabbit hole that has no fucking end and no pot of gold at the end of it either, <laughs> right? It's like it's just insanity down this goddamn path because you're going to be able to do a way better job of just understanding through pattern recognition yeah. what this guy tends to do whenever he takes certain actions. You know, I had like a light bulb moment yesterday when I saw that and like we had a little bit of a conversation about it and I was just simply thinking like whatever happened, like I remember how I got better at exploiting, you know, players mm -hmm. and it was simply very much just sitting, you know, I would like, honestly, like, I would be like in the shower, like thinking like about poker, like, okay, like this person plays like this, I should do this, like, and just like actively thinking out problem sets yeah. and then remembering the patterns and then trying to exploit these patterns, right? Then I see, you know, the-, the You know what that effectively is? What? It's running iterations, okay. right? It's running iterations without actually being in game. And it's flawed because you're a person, not a right. supercomputer, but- it has a lot of relevance because when you're dealing in the live realm, the only data we're able to collect is observational, which makes it very subjective in nature. Mm -hmm. But we have to lean into something. So effectively, we have to find the areas that we have a lot of confidence. So uh, essentially, like that's why I'm saying solvers have been so helpful yeah. because they do delineate what attributes should be prioritized. So it's like if I recognize that backdoor equity is heavily prioritized over um, just you know, the same exact candidate with no backdoor equity. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I can begin to like deduce like what tendencies will will start to trend through the pool and things along those lines. And I can run these mental iterations. And it doesn't take a billion right. to get to a solution because the solution's imperfect. So that's not really the point. The point is muscle memory and getting to a, a level of degree of confidence where we understand like, okay, I've really thought this through deeply. And I'm pretty confident in what I've concluded. If I'm wrong, I'll be punished for it. And then yes. I'll have to reevaluate. So then I see Bryn Kenny. And he ends up pretty much saying the same thing. That the majority of his study work is mostly just thinking about spots. Obviously, he's playing in a smaller pool. Mm -hmm. So he could just like pick a certain person and think how he plays. Sure. But it still plays the same in that in a pool, you can deduce that the majority of the pool plays a hand in this manner, you know, and you can deduce that they play a certain hand class like this, you know, and that muscle memory and figuring out how to exploit these big patterns is how you win a lot of money. Yeah. And then obviously, as we get better thinking about hand classes, thinking about all these things, we're just adding on to these this layer of like confidence slash like really in tune with their strategy i guess you would say yeah. because like as we learn more all we're understanding is okay these hand classes can exploit this strategy that we understand in this way mm -hmm. that's how i view like theory yeah right so yeah i mean i'm struggling in terms of like how to get him out of that situation but I feel like it's that's why I wanted to talk about this. I don't, I don't think he should get out of it, though. I think firsthand knowledge is really great. Like, um, although I don't know, I go back and forth on this. I learned how I basically learned how solvers work by not using them. 
right? It was just like talking with a lot of people who understood uh, the ins and outs of how the software worked. And then just having a pretty strong background in computer science, mm. um, it was more helpful to me to like have some comprehension of what goes into the algorithm than it was to just run a billion mm. sims and then try to pick out patterns there. And that's kind of the irony is that, uh, you know, we're not data analysts by trade. So uh, I'm going to double back to the Nick conversation a lot because like this kind of all ties in. Um, data is only as good or as useful as the person who's able to analyze it, right? Mm. And you can get some of the smartest in the industry and show them a billion sims, but without some sort of guideline as far as like, how to make sense of it all, what they're going to do is they're going to look for patterns, right? And they're going to look for information that is easily conveyed to them. The exact same as they do in an observational sense in live realm, right? So the only difference between these two are one is computed output that's based on a set of parameters that arrives us at, let's, let's say uh, a relatively optimal solution. The other, is a set of parameters that are much more specific to the actual environment or uh, group of players that we are constantly thrust into. And we're reliant upon our intuition and subconscious to make sense of it all, which we've been programmed to do for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We've evolved to where we are based on being able to rely on that intuition. New course, December 12th. I'm like, it's like dropping an album. You're like dropping an <laughs> album out here, you know? I mean, honestly, it, it really is touching on all this stuff that we're talking about. The The whole point of the course that I was trying to get to was to demonstrate what baseline game theory looks like and then create a subset of uh, essentially protocols that we could just run through. So like if, if you think in terms of uh, the blog that Jason Kuhn put out mm -hmm. where he has like these 15 protocols that he goes through before he makes a decision on the flop, it was kind of the same thing, right? It's like, okay, let's acknowledge first and foremost through like maybe these five or six protocols of what baseline theory should be in this particular spot. And now let's go through our, our observational patterns and say like, okay, how does all of that change based on the fact that I'm up against X in uh stake Y? Yeah, I've been saying that in the Academy for 10 academies, man. Yeah, man he just wrote it down. Like, <laughs> like I'm trying to keep a secret. Sure. So if you come to the Academy, you would know step one. You go to the GTO approximation. Step two, come to the academy. Step three, I'm not going to tell you the rest. Um, Step one's the hard part for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. So that's your new course, dropping an album. Hopefully it sells for free. <laughs> Solve for why gift, S4Y yep. gift is, you know, how you could watch Berkey give you a bunch of good stuff. Man, I used to pay $300 an hour. Now you're giving away. I used to have just waited. Yeah, I'm charitable. You're washed. <laughs> um all right let's move on to our next topic which is let's start with fitness uh this is going to be about one month now of our bet and they're not going to know yet because i'm actually going to get the dexa scan tomorrow uh but i feel good about it i feel good and i don't know at this point I feel as if I feel as if like it's it's not so much about the money but actually more about like showing people that like you know you can do hard things. And That's I'm not good. I'm not trying to be like like a like you know 
philosophical or whatever, like Nick Howard and shit. But like, it's not easy. Like, it's like you have to go in there every fucking day, lift heavy weights, get sore, eat right, do it again the next day over and over and over and over again. And like, you know, there's Thanksgiving dinner with a bunch of rice and beans and platanos and madudos and all this nice stuff that my Dominican friends listening right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Some empanadas, you know what I'm saying? And you can't have it. You know, my my plate was a large plate of salad with avocado and meat yeah and that sounds great it was great and a large extra large perrier no palagrino mm. yeah two of them sure they take care of me over there uh yeah but honestly yeah so it's it's about doing hard things and there's definitely a lot of sacrifice in that so i know you're big on like that that realm i i just think like the idea of process oriented thinking instead of results is so valuable and my biggest concern with this entire bet is that the results are going to somehow validate or invalidate your process mm. when it's all said and done and why do you say that because i think that like i think that uh there's probably a lot of different naysayers versus uh you know cheerleaders in your ear Saying like, oh, you got this a year is plenty of time. Like there's no chance that he, you won't get it versus like others are basically saying like, yo, this shit's hard. Uh, there's a lot you got to do, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. It's like, I think that uh, if you end up at 21 and a half percent on November 4th, 2020. I think that's a success though. It is a success. Yeah. I, I worry that it won't be viewed that way. I would not care. Like, so 5,000. Well, that's not- easy to say now. It's month one. Well, it's also just like, it's $5,000. Like I've lost $5,000 a lot in my life, you know, but the process is, is really good in yeah, terms yeah, of, but you're, you're framing it a lot in the sense of like, I'm being paid to do all these things. I thought that on day one, but now I think it's more like, okay, like the people that are following me in this, they're not following me for the money. They're just saying they're, they're following to see if I could do hard things. Sure. And in a way maybe like a 0.5% inspiration that they make do a hard thing. Like, I don't know. There might be some guy watching that's like, was also 275 pounds and is also Dominican. It's also trying to make uh, a living in poker. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, if he watches me do all this, like maybe he'll do it. You know what I'm saying? And that's cool. You know? So I like that. Obviously the money helps, but I don't know. That's the reason why I have people following. You you have this grin on your face. Just, I, I, I believe you. I believe you. I just, from, in my experience, money motivated bets often uh, come with like uh, a level of results oriented thinking where you're either validated or invalidated based on whether or not you win or lose the bet. Yeah, but that's like. Like, do you think if Rast would have collapsed somewhere in downtown LA on his bike and didn't make it to Blazarian's doorstep, he would just be like walking around like. I did that. Like a better yeah. example. Do you think they like he's super proud about the fight with Sorrell? Let me ask you this. Wait, wait, wait. answer my question first. No, no. But because like you know, he probably worked his ass off to let get me the ask, ring. Let me ask you this. Like, okay, yeah. Like, but would I pay five thousand dollars and get to twenty one percent body fat right now? Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, but you're not just paying five k to get to twenty one percent. You're paying five k and a fuck ton of sweat equity. Yeah, but it's like at Which the end of the day, all yeah, things yeah. that I think are great. This yeah. is a character building process. I right. think that like. The entire journey is going to be one that 
there, especially at month one, you definitely can't foresee what is up ahead. Like one thing I'm certain of is these types of endeavors mm-hmm. never go effortlessly. For sure. No matter how you frame it out in your mind, no matter how many ways you go about scheming on it, like, you know, the bike ride to LA that Rass went through, all, all of those big extreme bets. You can sit down and map out the science and come up with a million different formulas that are all going to equate to, I need to put in X amount of effort over Y amount of time, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to coast. And that's literally never the case. Yeah, of course not. I don't want... The thing is, like, one of the things this this bet has kind of showed me is that there's a certain amount of value in being uncomfortable. And it's like, it's okay. Like... There's there's a balance, right? There's a balance between uncomfortable and taking it to a point where like you're just not gonna go back, right? So it's like if I get up every day at six a.m. and like go to the gym and like do hit cardio at six a.m. every day, like I'm just gonna not do it, yeah. right? But if I add this gym at you know twelve p.m. and I know I'm gonna go hard at twelve p.m., then I could do it, right? So it's like you have to like well maybe make it make it well to me I have to make it uncomfortable but not to the point where it's like I'm like this is like way too far away from my normal routine where it's just like not going to do it. Yeah. Now the amount of rigidity that you put into that though is going to be uh what demonstrates if this is a success or a success or a failure because currently what you're framing this out as is you are picking and choosing your levels of discomfort and that's good. That's, mm. that's, that's a proper way of creating a regiment. But the problem with regiments are that they get stale and plateaus form. For sure. For sure. So, you know, as that stuff begins to present, more and more needs to be added yeah. or shifted in the routine. Yeah, you got to shake it up. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't even mean that in the sense of like, oh, you've been going at noon every day for a month and a half. You should start going at like 7 p.m. or, or 8 a.m. or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. It's more so that just like life is going to get in the way. Yeah, for and sure. It's going to force you to be... Uh, Matt, like, more versatile yeah for sure like yeah sometimes i'll go at 7 p.m like, you just go with, like to me it's like i have to go today yeah you know and it's like where i go is whatever but like you have to go yeah and when you go like you're in there like full throttle like there's no mercy yeah and i like that i think that's that's how you do it like you train you know everyone has their own way of training but like I train and I just like go hard. You know, I put on my music. It's hardcore fucking music. If you follow me on Instagram, you know the shit is hard. You know, it's like big pun, Jada Kiss. If you don't hustle, you don't eat. Sure. I'm I'm omitting some of the the, the bad words that they say. Right, right. But uh yeah, if you don't hustle, you don't eat. So that's that's kind of how I do it. Go in there, go hard, be uncomfortable. I think it's kinda cool. Make twenty five thousand. <laughs> that's kind of nice too. Um, but let's talk about the uncomfortableness because I think that is something that I've definitely worked on throughout the years. Like you've told me like, Oh, like you're, you know, you're too comfortable in certain things. Like for sure. And this, at least this bet has got me a little bit more aware of that, but I've noticed like, at least in poker, that's probably one of the, the biggest downfalls in in the way of, of everything. So like, you know, yesterday I told Chris, like, you know, you're probably pretty comfortable because like, this is the way you think, you know, through this theory realm. Right. And and I told him you were there. I was like, you're probably the best theoretical thinker in your pool. Like 
that's not what you need to be working on. You need to be working on the things that actually are uncomfortable for you, which right. is like thinking in an exploitative way, thinking all these things. What is your kind of take on uncomfortableness and poker? Because like it comes in many forms, both through strategy, bankroll management, shot taking, all these other things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go with this, but uh, specifically with regards to poker, uh, be it as a career or supplementary income, it's it's programmed into the game. And like I was kind of saying this to Chris yesterday too, where it's it's unfair to have anxiety over losing hmm. because that's just an earmark of what a professional is defined by right it's like how you handle your losses and how you accept the fact that you are going to lose is often going to kind of lay the groundwork or the pathway forward for you to uh build a career yeah and you know he's rolled he's not super rolled he doesn't have like infinite buy-ins but he has enough buy-ins where like there is no eminent threat of going broke Right. Yet he feels that every single time he sits down. Mm -hmm. So the irony is that he's kind of like um, almost creating discomfort in a comfortable environment to keep himself from becoming too complacent. But that discomfort just steers him back into training into his strengths. So it's like, you know, to use a, a, a fitness parallel, it's like, I'm all legs, man. I, I was a pitcher in college. Like all we trained were legs all the time. So if I really want to get after it, the easiest thing for me to do is just start pounding out legs. The hardest thing for me to do is chest, right? So it's like if if I really want to train to uh, be overall more healthy, more functional, and look better, then I need to train to my weaknesses, right? Uh, like when I was growing up, the, the owner of the gym, one of the big things he told me whenever he would like walk me through sets is train to your weakest arm whenever doing uh, anything... Um, unilaterally mm -hmm. so if if i'm doing like dumbbell curls and i could do 10 reps of of a 30 pound dumbbell with my left arm but only six on my right he's like train to the train to the right, right arm right? right you don't go sure. down and wait because one arm's weaker you get that arm stronger and i think it's the exact same thing in poker it's like you have to be able to get over these emotional barricades that are just built into the game right because that's where people fail and you don't want to be a failure right like so much of this game is won and lost in the nuance and in between the the actual mechanical lines of knowing when to make good decisions and when not to because so much of what we do is driven by emotion we have a movie coming out soon yep called to be determined mm -hmm. it's going to be featuring one of my friends uh and in one of the scenes you'll see us kind of discussing building a business plan for poker right and i think that's pretty important simply because i think that there's a lot of excuses made and why you can't do certain things yeah and i think as you realize if you build a plan all these excuses start being even either taken care of or eventually brought down to such a way where you can move past it yeah do you think that's one of the ways where like maybe people could stop having excuses of like why they can't do something right yeah I, I mean it's like building a failure resume even if it's a fictional one right like even if it's building out failures that haven't occurred it's important to like kind of confront 
your, your deepest anxieties in such a way where you reduce them to something that's not that big of a deal. So like I was telling Chris yesterday, I was like, develop a plan for what happens whenever you only have 10 buy-ins, when mm -hmm. you only have five buy-ins, and then for when you're broke. Yeah. Like, I want to know what your plan is when you are stone broke. Because it's uncomfortable. People just don't want to think about it. Yeah. They just think to themselves like, oh, I won't go broke. It's like, maybe. But yeah. why not just have this insurance in case you do? And even if you don't ever go broke, it's great to have this in your back pocket to be able to pass along to others and say like, this was a motivator for me. And it's a pretty sound plan if the worst case scenario ever presented itself. It's like he's 21, man. Right. Like, you know, he doesn't need to have this rush to making millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I was kind of saying this to my nephew the other day who's at a bit of a crossroads and can't really figure out like what he wants to necessarily steer into and stuff like that. It's like, you're 20. He's about to turn 21 next month. And it's like, you have to, you have to forego the career path now in order to really understand like who you are, what motivates you, what drives you, where you failed, most importantly. Like knowing your weaknesses is so much more critical than having any sort of comprehension of what you're strong at, right? And if you just spend your 20s really going through that feeling out process, really trying to evolve and like have some sort of like grounded nature in uh, in like something that you're confident in, right? Like. Even if you're confident in where you're weak, that gives you an entire lifetime to work on this certain subset of things, right? And it's just going to further out, build out strengths. And like, you know, because Chris was thrust into this soft market young and he was good enough that he built up liquidity, he's already lost that focus. He's already 35 years old mm. and he's only worried about security and liquidity and resources and all this other stuff. It's like, bro, you're 21, man. Your rent is like $250. Right. You you haven't even you haven't even struggled yet, man. Like you haven't you haven't needed to sleep on a couch because you're dead broke. You haven't needed to like rent some fucking cheap place just to get by and like do all these things. It's like the budget suites. Yeah, it's like you don't even know what it's like to travel. Like you don't mm -hmm. play tournaments, you don't go through all this stuff. Like you've never stayed in a $45 a night motel in Atlantic City off the fucking strip. Yeah. where hookers get killed on the reg because it was going to save you, you know, 60 bucks, bucks a night. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, you know, I struggle with that in in terms of understanding that as well sometimes because I was very fortunate of finding, like, pretty good spots uh, when I was trying to build a bankroll um, in terms of, like, I was staked in some underground games by game runners. Mm -hmm. I ran... Maybe I ran hot or maybe I was just better than them, maybe both. Um, and I made a fair amount of money, enough to like take some shots. So when I got out of that situation of like, maybe I had like 20K, right? But I was just like sitting 510 sometimes and I would just like sit, you know, the max buying at Borgata was like 1500 at the time. And I'm like, I could take 1500 and just fire, you know? Yeah. And I'll just like fire it. And sometimes I would win. And those were good, right? Like you'll win like 3K. That's a nice boost. You know, you're winning over 10% of your bankroll. Yeah. You know? Go back to 2.5. Now it feels much softer. But one of the things that I really, really remember is just like, I always said like, I have to get, like I have to get better. Because even though I'm better than these guys right here, like I'm not better than, than you, right? Like I'm not better than someone else, right? So that hunger, I still think, I don't know what it is, man. That level, like I was uncomfortable being the best player 
in this situation. Yeah. Because I always like look to the back room and I'm like, what are they doing? You know, like they would crush me, you know? And, and same thing. Like I always talk about this, like I'll see the same, like some 21 year old kid and I'm like, he might crush me in that, you know, next year. Like, so that level of just like, I don't want to be stagnant, I think is crucial strategically. Um, so I don't know I've had this like weird, I have like, you know, my two good friends in terms of poker, like obviously Oscar and Chris are so different, you know? worlds apart. Yeah. But so similar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Oscar this week, I invited him to come to the elite Academy and I told him you can come for free. Mm-hmm. That's like $6,000 rally. Right. And you know, he has some things going on and I'm like, Hey, like I'll clear all these things for you. Like I'll take care of it. And then, you know, we'll handle it on the back end. Um, and one of the things he always tells me is just like, like, I'm not you, like, I'm not, I'm not you. I'm not like looking to play high stakes or anything like that. But to me, that bothers me simply because I'm like, even if your goal is not to play high stakes, like if you learn how to play better, you just make more money in the game you're in. Right. Sure. Like, and, and at the end of the day, that's what, whether you play 10, 20 or two, five, having the capability of playing 10, 20 makes you more money at two, five. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about just like, you know, obviously you've taken down a lot of barriers for me in terms of like network funding, you know, things like that platform, whatever. What do you do when there's like resistance even past the, and you've done this with me, right? Like prior to this bet, like you've taken down barriers in terms of fitness and like things like that. Like, but what do you do when there is that level of resistance, even when the barriers are taken down? Yeah. I mean, it's hard, man. Cause like you have to let people fend for themselves. Like if I'm guilty of anything, it's helping too much, not enough. Or it's that I'm, I, I tend to overhelp not or overextend myself rather than like letting people kind of figure shit out on their own. Mm -hmm. And it's debilitating because if you don't let people fail, then they never really learn any lessons. Uh, and most people don't want to hear that. They don't actually believe that it takes failure in order to learn, but they're so stubborn in the process of failing or even just remaining complacent that it does take that extreme event in order to reprogram or recondition things. But, you know, we were kind of talking about this the other day where this all breaks down is at the fundamental human level, right? So if we just zoom way out and just look at the human species we're resilient as fuck mm-hmm. right like we just fucking live man it's us and cockroaches yeah like, one way or another we're gonna find a way to be here as long as we possibly can it'll just be us at the end just <laughs> yeah. us and the cockroaches yeah it's like <laughs> and we just continually get better and better and more refined and you know we're smarter creatures and we keep evolving right but the problem with that resiliency is that it's a byproduct of being able to manipulate your your level of discomfort in such a way that uh, you can become complacent in even the most torturous of scenarios, mm. right? And I don't know enough about the psychology of like, you know, uh, war prisoners or anything like that. So I, I'm not going to go that extreme. But if we just, if we take more simple cases, right? So if we take a look at like how I grew up, very impoverished, right? Now my mom started as a well-to-do housewife. She married my father, who was very well off. He was a, a chemical engineer, uh, you know, made 
high five figures, low six figures by the time I was a toddler. So they were doing really well. This is the 80s, right? We mm -hmm. had a four-bedroom home. Everything was going great. To my knowledge at that point, uh, they dabbled in pot at most, but that was it, right? Now, add in some trauma. My dad was incredibly abusive, abusive, right? It took its toll on my mom. She found the strength to leave by the time I was five. Okay, so we, we remove ourselves from that scenario, right? Yeah. But the traumas occurred. Already, the barrier of uh, like what you're willing to survive through has already drastically yeah. increased, right? Right. Now we're not talking about like, oh, I need like fine dining and nice cars and a house and all these other things, right? Immediately, like when some trauma inserted, it was just like, okay, I need a roof over my head. I need the ability to, um, you know, earn money and to and, eat. And Basically, yeah. I need to cover my essentials. You need to cover that, yeah. Right. So now we're, I'm six years old, five years old, whatever. And we are living in a two bedroom apartment, mm -hmm. her, myself, and my sister. So my sister and I are sharing a room. Um, we are living off government aid. She gets food stamps. She doesn't work. And what happened is that the reason all that's true is because there was no need. Working was going to increase her plight in life by like four or five percent. Right. It was going to reduce almost no suffering. If anything, it may add additional suffering because now it's an extra stressor. Mm -hmm. Who am I going to get to watch the kids whenever I'm at work? Right. Yada, yada, yada. I have this system that I can buy into that allows me to maintain my complacency with the level of torment and, and struggle that I'm willing to accept. Correct. So now what makes sense? Well, if I can't reduce the suffering through some sort of positive thing, allow me to numb myself and reduce the suffering that way. So she gets hooked on, she becomes a bordering alcoholic. She gets hooked, hooked on pain pills and then eventually stumbles into crack. Now let's take a look at what the, the, the level uh, of life that she's willing to live. Now she lives in an abandoned house that is condemned by by all intent and purposes. She so she's effectively in a crack den, right? Right. She's literally selling her food stamps in order to stay in drug and cigarette money, and you know, effectively almost never eating, mostly malnourished. Right. Her kids have left her. Yeah. She's all on her own, and she maintains that lifestyle in a deteriorating fashion for thirty plus years, right? And with it goes her sanity. So by the time it was all said and done, like, I, I mean, you know, she was diagnosed like schizophrenic and bipolar while, while I was with her, but like eventually it just deteriorated until the point, like she finally OD'd and, and, uh, you know, enough was enough. But like this happens in homelessness too. You have somebody who's a completely sane person who like just has one traumatic event happen. They lose their job. They lose a loved one. They, they, they lose their transportation, whatever, right, right. some sort of massive hurdle that presents itself that in isolation is solvable. Correct. Right. I could get a new job. I could get a new car. I could, uh, you know, eventually deal with the death of this person who's close to me, whatever. But in in correlation to all the other small negative events that are occurring around them, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then they just they they just decrease the the minimum level of suffering, or, or sorry, they increase the minimal level of suffering that they're willing to take on. And this just perpetuates over and over and over again until eventually they find themselves on the corner of a highway. Where they're saying to themselves, like, okay, what does it take to survive now? All right, well, I have this system where I'm going to work this corner between these hours. I'm going to get X amount of dollars. I have, you know, this one broken shoe and another shoe. So I hope somebody donates me a pair of shoes. Uh, I could go to the shelter X, Y, and Z days. And, like, basically they form a way or they form a system that will allow them to lead a miserable existence uh, 
uh, by comparison to their original self right. when they were of sound mind in a reasonable place. But throughout the stepping down process, it's not that big of a leap, right? Yeah. yeah. From the last point of suffering, this isn't that bad. Right. And they're fine. They, they, like they're going to survive. And that's like where all this resiliency that's programmed into us is it's almost to our detriment. And that's, that's also why I'm such a huge proponent of taking that resiliency and pushing it down paths of, of positivity. Put that resiliency to the way that you eat. Mm-hmm. Put that resiliency into your career, into your relationships, in your family, your loved ones, into sport, into uh, training. Whatever. Because it works in the inverse too, right? Exactly. It's, it's like, you know, you're, you don't get from point A to point B in the one day. But right. like every single, this is kind of what I've learned in the fitness thing. It's like, yeah, one burger won't make you fat. Similar to like one salad won't make you skinnier. Right. But every single day adding that little bit of like, this is a good meal. This is a good meal. This is a good meal. It adds up. Right. right? Same thing in in poker. Right. It's like every single day you watch that video, you take that those notes like it's going to help you. Like it won't help you tomorrow right. in terms of like playing against Kenny, but it'll help you. In six months, when one spot comes up and like your brain just like went I, into I think that's the know? best parallel because it's so much more of a progression in poker. Yeah. So it's like you're not going to be able to understand the exploitative matrix if you haven't laid all the groundwork first. Yeah. So if you didn't start at day one, primer course, episode one, and continually check off the box of like, okay, I definitely know what equity is right i definitely know what equilibrium is i definitely know what ev is right until you have that all that confidence built up it's impossible to start getting higher level concepts and and this was something that like negrano and i kind of went back and forth on twitter where he was saying like i think there's a way to communicate high level concepts so that every man can understand Mm. and my retort was then that means they're not high level concepts right what makes them high level is the need to have some sort of authority prior to understanding that concept in order to actually get it so you think this happens in poker as well in terms of like the downward spiral where potentially how would you frame that spiral the easiest way is through stakes right so it's like so many people were on this path where they were they were trying to scale to high stakes right and they did kind of like what you were saying like i had x amount of dollars i took some shots i did well i did this i did that i had a tournament score whatever so finally if you look at like maybe some three-year span in their career they went from one two to two five two five to five ten five ten to shot taking it uncapped ten twenty something mm-hmm. of that nature right and suddenly they just feel like oh man i, I i've arrived i've made it and complacency begins to set in mm-hmm. well from there now you're at the top of the mountain and the only place to, to go is down so it's really hard to just maintain that forever without some sort of resiliency kicking in where you're trying to scale in a different way, whether it's laterally or, or linearly, uh, you need to be able to be pursuing something. Otherwise, the only thing you're going to pursue is zero. And then that's ultimately what happens. A couple downswings hit. They stop studying. They're not good enough for the pool anymore. They lose their bottom line. They start losing. So they step back to 510. I can always make a living at 510 mm-hmm. for sure, right? Same thing happens. Game passes the buy. Now it's 18 months later and they're playing 2-5 and they're finally starting to find some stability because the scaling back of skill has gone far enough now where they're caught up and they're ahead of the curve again. So now all of a sudden, like they're having a little upswing, whatever the case may be. And what happens? Fear. Hmm. Now they're afraid of perpetuating the cycle all over again. They don't want to scale to 1020 anymore because they don't want to deal with the pain of coming back to two five. This isn't even counting like any life events that could occur. Exactly. Right. So it's like, if you're 
playing two five and something happens like in, in this situation, you, you have to handle something, mm -hmm. you know, now what you're saying in terms of like only being worried about taking care of your, your, whatever your bills or whatever becomes like the big thing on your yep. mind. And then now you're more uncomfortable, right? And then your new level of comfortability has, you know, went down a little bit. And now you're just worried about, okay, well, I just need to make enough to cover these bills and I'm good for next month, yep. et cetera. And it's just, it's this check to check survival mentality. And it's why you will come across so many mid stakes grinders who will like literally utter the phrase. I think I've even heard Bart Hansen say this where they've said something to the effect of like, I never want to play X stakes. I just wow. never want to play X stakes, right? Like I'm so comfortable making a living at two, five or five ten that I never want to play these big stakes with good players and put a lot of risk on the line. And almost always that's born out of some sort of fear based upon either first-handedly experiencing the, the perpetual cycle of rising to uh, some level of success and then falling or having enough people close enough to you where you've seen, you've seen it happen. You've seen the pain that they've gone through mm -hmm. for you to say like, that's not for me, man. I'm very happy making 30 to $80 an hour in these small stakes where there's no risk. You know, one of the things you told me, you know, a long time ago was, was making like, there's going to be moments. Like if you want to make it to high stakes, like there's big risk moments. And I don't know. I still think, I still believe that's true. Like yep. there's, there's just going to be moments where the lot's on the line and when it goes your way, that's great. Like just have a plan for when it doesn't go your right. way. It's why we all have such survivor bias. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not to say that those who have made it didn't deserve it or that those who have made it didn't put the work in. But for every one of the for every one of us who's had the opportunity to play big and has had, you know, a six or seven figure bankroll that that was large and built solely through poker, there's ten others who have attempted and failed. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe were there survivors because of our methodology? Maybe we're the survivors because of our talent, or maybe we're the survivors just out of sheer and utter dumb luck where mm -hmm. we were created or afforded better opportunities right. than the other ones who failed. It's probably a combination of all of the above. But at the end of the day, like I can't control the luck, right? I'm only mm -hmm. going to be able to be in control of the situation where uh, I actually create plans and pathways for when opportunities present. Well, if the people want to learn more about that stuff, they can't come in February because it's sold out. That's true. So our February Cash Game Academy is sold out. You can't know the... Taking a list. Yeah, we'll take a list. If you're interested, send us an email. Send us a, a little wait list. Where can they send the email to? Uh, applications at solveforyacademy.com. Or you can hit me up on my Twitter. DM me. Let me know you're interested. Send me five bucks. I'll, see, I'll figure it out. Oh, this five bucks thing about Slay America is already tilting me a little bit, actually. <laughs> um, but... uh. Yeah, we're sold out. That seems great, you know? Uh, so we're going to announce soon, maybe in the next vlogcast or so, the next academy when they can come. Yeah, I mean, the tough thing is is that for us to play in an academy, we need to know like what the big events are. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, I want to aim for April, but May may make more sense right. just because uh, I'm not really sure what's on the docket. Party Poker is doing so much shit these days. Yeah, Party Poker, Rob Young, you got to hit us up. Let us know what you have planned. That way we can build our life. <laughs> you know, literally my life revolving around Rob Young. Yeah. What the hell is going on? It's like he's my backer. He should be your backer. Anyway, you're giving away another damn thing. What? December 13th, 
Mm. Not only you are doing your course, yeah. you're also doing what we call a mastermind, which is uh, roughly two hours mm -hmm. webinar kind of thing. And they can still view that for free. Sure. Great. Yeah. So the caveat to this is uh, all the members get to attend live. We do it over Zoom. Um, you know, usually it's it's on some big abstract topic. In the past, I've always done uh, mental game stuff. Um, I think I'm going to do uh, mid-stake strategy. Mm. So I kind of want to just address this whole concept that like, you know, highly strategic thinking doesn't apply to low and mid-stakes. It's a joke. It's a, I don't understand. Like, I want to cross-book people. Let, this is what I want to do. You sit at one, two. I'll sit at one, two. And let's cross-book. Right. Like, let's just cross-book. Let's see who wins more. Right. right, right it's right. like, are you crazy? Like, it. Well, again, it goes all the way back to the pain, right? Yeah. Like, it's too painful to think that you could be actively doing something to increase your bottom line as opposed to just, like, arguing against the idea of doing something and staying as is. Because there's money to be made by just like showing up, playing good hands, for and, sure, and you know, outmaneuvering people that way. But yeah. What do you think? What do you think is the main thing people think? It why why don't they understand that? Like a high level. I think because fun. game theory is presented in in such nuance, and it comes off like so sophisticated that it's laughable to think that there are one two players that are thinking, mm -hmm. and that's true. That mm -hmm. that's very true. Yeah. But. Again, like just the whole idea of exploiting people who are very bad at the game, it takes some amount of knowledge and or data. So if you're the most perceptive human in the room, then yeah, you're not going to need as much theory. But theory is going to be a great jumping off point for you to then work those perceptions in and say like, oh, well, I, I recognize this guy doesn't have bluffs in this spot. So for sure. I'm going to respond accordingly. Yeah, I think that will be, be a good one for you for sure because... I do want to see you address that. I think that's that's going to be a good one. So they get to see it for free, of course. Goddamn. Yeah, and you know it's interactive. Um, I take questions the entire time, uh, so it's it's meant to be sort of like a group presentation. Yeah. Um, kind of like the academy, like, like group where, coaching with a topic. Yeah, like where it's a classroom setting where you know uh, I think my last one probably had like forty viewers or so. Mm -hmm. um, most just lurk, but the more interactive you are, I think the more value you get out of it. Yeah. Last one I did, freaking people asking questions, like changing the whole hand. And like, they're like asking questions, hypothetical questions. Like, what if it was this and this and this? And I have to like on the fly create like, okay, well, my strategy was switching this way mm -hmm. and then like move this way. And That's it's good though. Yeah, of course. I mean, it was fun. I mean, they, they make sure they keep you on your toes. Like yeah. if you go in there, like, you know, if you're Fugazi, they'll like, they'll be like, nah, bro, <laughs> you Fugazi. Like, yeah, I'm not paying for this shit. But then, you know. I'm glad I passed the test. So I think it's, I, I, you know, I don't want to keep going. I think we talked too much. We're giving away too much goddamn things. We have to wrap the damn show. I, I'm interested about this hat. I want to, I want to, what is up with your hat, man? Now, like why hat. does it say fish on it? I'm trying to. I think it's a fishing hat. We're trying to change, you know, we're trying to change your, you're a good player. Yeah, but, you know, I'll tell you the same thing I told the kid on Instagram who talks shit. Would you rather be considered elite at low stakes or fish in, in uh, nosebleeds? I think I'd rather play nosebleeds. Yeah, of course. It's like, it's like call me a fish all you want as long as I'm going home and cashing a check. You know this shirt's a large? Nice. Who's DJ Sombra? I don't know. It was a large and a fit, so I, <laughs> so I wore it. You know? 
<laughs> Did you pluck it out of the yeah. Salvation Army? Nah, it was in my room. I don't know. It was probably I didn't fit in it for a long time, so it was all the way at the bottom. <laughs> you know? And then I was like, Oh, I think I fit in this one today. So uh. I threw it on, I was like, Alright, I fit in this, okay. you know? Yeah. Right, we, 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 okay, we swerving out of here, shirt. We swerving out here. Alright, well, with that, it is a wrap.